We talk about the orange box turning 10 and the dystopian world that DRM has created, making us all fight for scraps of hope on this episode of Cheerful Ghost Radio. Cheerful Ghost Radio is a podcast from the Cheerful Ghost community about interesting stuff in gaming and other various bits of nerdery. All right, everybody. In this episode, um, it's kind of a little extra episode. We've got a couple extra topics we want to talk about that sort of didn't make it into the main show. And so for the first topic, you know, everybody, there's this company out there called Valve. They're a little indie studio. Probably haven't heard of them. Did a couple games. And one game they released back when people were actually putting out copies of games inside of a box. I know no one remembers that. It's around the same time that records were new. And A-track tapes around. I'm just kidding. It was way later than that. Um, They came out with a game called The Orange Box. And as far as I'm concerned, it was one of the craziest game releases. uh, And I would say one of the best releases around i mean i guess you could compare it i'd compare it to such game releases like super mario all-stars which in mario all-stars it came with the original super mario brothers the lost levels mario 2 and mario 3 in the same cart um and that's a ton of game in there like i love that you know um sort of back before bundles were a thing people were just bundling up into a cart and so valve released the orange box and it was kind of and if you read a little bit about it it was kind of this just crazy timing on Valve's part because all these games were looking like they're going to release at the same time. And so what they decided to do is pool everyone's resources. And when one game was done, then they'd pool everyone on the next game and then they pool people on the next game. So and then just be like, hey, you know, let's just put it all out together. Um which was weird, which is totally weird because, well, kind of made some sense because some of these games are small and some of these games are larger, but in terms of how to market it, it was different. And, you know, you didn't see these bundles anymore and, you know, Valve releasing a ton of games at once. What? So that was the orange box and it featured Half-Life 2, Half-Life 2 Episode 1, Half-Life 2 Episode 2, Team Fortress 2, and Portal. And that came out on Xbox 360, um, PC, and then uh, EA ported it to the PlayStation 3, and Travis and I will probably talk a little bit about that port. But 10 years later, so it's 10, just recently, the Orange Box is celebrated its 10-year birthday. So 10 years later, I'm curious what we think about the release and the games on it. Just get everyone's sort of thoughts on it. Um, so let's kick things over to you, Script. The Orange Box is 10 years old. It's kind of going to junior high now. What do you think? <laughs> Happy uh, 10-year anniversary, Orange Box. It was, uh, it was pretty cool. I, um, I remember when the Orange Box came out. I was actually. How'd you get it? Eight. How'd you get it? What'd you play it on? Uh, <clears throat> PS3, I believe. Okay. Okay. Um, I I had it on PS3. I remember thinking that it was awesome that there was a, a PSN Steam integration. Um, that was, that was pretty neat. So, yeah, I think I, I, I got it on PS3. Um, I remember playing, um, 
Well, didn't the didn't the other games come out on PC prior? Yeah, so I believe Orange what Box. happened is yeah. the Orange Box came out on PC and the Xbox 360 ported by Valve, and then EA released the PS3 port later on but its I own. Mean, I mean, like, um, but I mean, Half-Life 2 and Episode 1 and 2 were already out prior to the Orange Box release, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, okay. yeah, Half-Life So they just, right. basically this was, it seemed like this was a, a vehicle for, for Portal, it was a vehicle. Um, okay, the new games on the box were Half Life, Two, Episode Two, Team Fortress Two, and Portal. Then, okay. but Half Life Two and Half Life Two Episode One had already been released, and so they just decided to include them for gotcha. everyone that hadn't played them before, which was me. Ah, I honestly, I didn't play okay. those games before this release. Yeah, I didn't think I did either. Um, I, I thought it was cool. I, I was honestly, I did not play the Half Life games in the orange box um i played team fortress 2 uh and i played portal and portal blew my mind yeah that was at the time that was the most impressive thing that i played in video games maybe since i was a kid um i was just so impressed with this three-hour nugget of a game that was like I was like, why aren't more people making games like this? <laughs> I don't even care that it's three hours long or bundled with these other games. They could have sold this whole thing for 30 bucks or whatever. Um, and I totally would have would have loved it. Um, yeah, I... I'm... I, th- I think that if they had released Portal on its own, it maybe wouldn't have gotten as much attention. But the fact that they tied it into the orange box everybody was immediately exposed to it that knew anything about Half-Life or... I mean, anybody that was a diehard Valve fan was going to get Portal, but for the greater masses, I think that the Orange Box probably helped to spread that love. I think the Orange Box... Everyone got it because of Team Fortress 2 and Half-Life 2 Episode 2. What I think it did for Portal was everyone that got those games also got portal as well and that and since they had no idea what it was or anything to expect they played it and they were blown out it's like mm-hmm. it's like you start out with no expectations and then you're blown away because you didn't you know what i mean it's like it was free and it's like oh my god and then it became yeah so i think that that's kind of right. what helped portal there was that it no one thought anything about it and then they just played it as an extra and then it became a huge right. focus of the orange box i would say and the fact that it was I don't remember at the time if they had even mentioned it, but the fact that when you played it and you realized that there was actual tie into the Half-Life universe. Yeah. Yeah. Also was just like, oh. Yeah, totally. Travis? Yeah, I love all of those games. Um, I had played the Half-Life uh, Half-Life 2 and Episode 1 before the Orange Box came out. Um, but, yeah, like everyone else, Portal was the real standout on that one. It was just mind-blowing, like, the physics involved in all this and the like, first-person puzzle kind of coming back, like, making a comeback after... I guess Myst was the last really big first-person puzzle game before that, but 
Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Um, I, I did buy the full package on PS3, and I'm not the kind of guy to trade in video games. Like, I get kind of an attachment to them. But as soon as I got an Xbox 360, I very happily went to GameStop and traded that game in for the for the 360 version because the EA port had some really bad optimization. You turned problems. in the PS3 um, version for the 360 port. Yes. Okay. Because uh, Team Fortress 2 like barely had any maps, um, and Half Life 2 once you got to the end, like the frame rate started knocking down to like 10 FPS at best. When you're in that last fight with Dr. Breen, it was just almost unplayable. But, you know, aside from a few little things like that, the port was, the EA did, was pretty good. They just didn't optimize everything that they should have. But, yeah, the games themselves, incredible. Um, still holding out hope for some sort of Half-Life 2 Episode 3 or Half-Life 3, but I don't think it's going to happen. You're holding out Maybe hope a Portal 3. improperly, Travis. That's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, I it seems like we all played on the PS3. I had a PS3. Um, it was well after the game, you know, was out, and I was like, okay, I'm looking for you know reasonably inexpensive things to play on the PS3 because the reason why I got the PS3 is actually for Blu-ray DVD. For actually, it was for the DVD upscaling, <laughs> and then it was for Blu-ray after that because I wasn't really into Blu-ray, and then I was like, oh yeah, that's cool. I was really for as a media player, frankly, is why I really got it. And to download demos, I didn't really think I was going to buy a game to play on it. Um, and then I was like, you know, that orange box that looks really cool. Like I and I hadn't played Half Life Two yet, so for me it was to get all the games. I know for some people it's only to get like you know Half Life Two Episode Two or you know Team Fortress Two. Um, and I got it on the PS3. And I know a lot of people say the port stunk, and you're right. That last Doctor Breen fight was kind of a slideshow. Beyond that, and and it had crackling audio, but I guess up to that point, I had already been used to PC gaming on really underpowered machines. So I was already used to crappy frame rates. And if you played the original Ocarina of Time, that game's barely 20 FPS already. So it's like, yeah. you know, I mean, it's yeah. not even cinema quality, you know. So for me, I guess it, 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 it seems smooth enough for me, you know, occasionally it would have stuttering, but no more than any other game I've been playing on hand-me-down PC hardware to that point, you know. Um, so I thought it was actually fine. And Portal is buttery smooth, you know, that was okay too. Mm -hmm. um, you're right, yeah, Team Fortress 2 was a ghost town, like no one played it. And it had like three maps. And so it got it kind of shows you like if you want to see like how far Team Fortress 2 has come since... Um, valve you know originally released it um just play that ps3 version because <laughs> it's like it's so bare bones compared to what it is now and now team fortress 2 is like it's so different well, i think that's so probably i don't even think the three go ahead Travis. i don't really even think the xbox 360 got a lot of updates for team it, fortress it 2 got either. more but, but the pc version more. had the ridiculous you know, still supported now, like tons of content, oh, yeah. you know, tons of stuff. But I mean, that's free to play and it's making them a lot of money, you know? So, um, yep. yeah, I think part of it too is probably just the lack of interest in, I, I mean, th th there's not a, a ton of people that were on the PS3 that were doing, you know, first person shooters. Um, Xbox 360 kind of had that on lockdown. The controller yep. was more suited for it. I mean, it yeah. was really weird yep. playing a first-person shooter with the PS3 controller. It, 
Right, and I don't think the game's reviews and that port got it any sort of like critical acclaim right. either because it was generally seen at panned as terrible. But, I mean, I never really played any PS3 games that had online. Well, I played a couple that had online play, but the amount of people playing them was very small um, online. Like, I remember getting the Wolfenstein 2007 at launch, and that had, like just a handful of people playing that and then i got rage at launch on the ps3 and that had just a handful of people playing that so like like none of the games i played really had a lot of people playing on i mean those really aren't they, online games but still right. i mean not a lot of people played them you know i mean they had they had some like socom there was always a ton of people playing okay SOCOM. okay um, oh, yeah. okay. Um, okay and and games that were kind of suited again i i think it all Kind of came, and I know that there was people that played first-person shooters with PS3 controller and 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 had oh, great yeah. experiences. But um, I anybody that I and I used I was actually at the time I was working retail at a video game store, and and the consensus seemed to be that if you wanted to play a first-person shooter on a console, then the Xbox 360 was the more I don't know comfortable environment, the more supported environment. Yep. Um, so, and I'm sure yeah. that Valve knew that, or EA knew that, or whatever, and they're like, "Yeah, let's not give too much attention," which is unfortunate. But you know, I mean, is what it is, I guess. Well, I think Valve did know that, and that's why it was the first party port to the 360. And I think, in a lot of ways, Valve was porting its games to these consoles as a way to bring people to Steam. I, I, I sort of, you know, because I don't, and it's funny because then later on, you know. Gabe didn't have a lot of really great things to say about the PS3 initially, and then later on they released Portal 2, and he made a really big deal of it. Well, he released the game. like They, they said their Portal 2 was coming out at a Sony event for PlayStation, you know what I mean? And was, it they, Portal, was it Portal 2 that had the PSN integration? Yeah. Well, no, that had, yeah, the, it it had the Steam integration. And if Steam you, integration. And, and if you integrated yeah. it on the PS3, that they would give you a free PC copy yeah, yeah, as yeah. well. And that was the only... Um, and the reason why Valve, I think why Gabe did that is because they wanted people to get onto Steam, right? And right. you couldn't do that on the Xbox 360, but you could do it on the PS3. And Gabe's like, right. yeah, this is way better, you know, it's way, way better. Which I agree, it is better. Maybe that's you know? what I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because the PS3 architecture was was not at all compatible with the the whole x86 right. um, architecture of PC. Cell processor. And Xbox 360 yeah. was a... A, a PC basically, mm-hmm. so it was probably easier to to port to. Yeah, the three, the poor PS3. It was it was superior hardware, but in the same way that Apple is superior hardware, but it just doesn't have people that want to make stuff for it. I think one of the things that made the PS3 hard that I heard from developers is that firstly Sony split the RAM off between the GPU and system memory to 256 megs and the Xbox 360 didn't do that and then also the um, multi-core aspects of the chip just it wasn't a a thing that people were doing a lot of back then it was a lot of like um, so you know to tap into the full potential of the CPU is just something that people weren't doing a lot of back then but now it's pretty common but you know people had to sort of make it and, and that memory yeah. split was a real pain in the ass for a lot of people and, and yeah it took like halfway through the generation before you started seeing like really amazing looking games on the ps3 and you're thinking okay well yeah 
now we see why this people say this is superior to the 360. Right. But it took them a while, I guess, to learn all the ins and outs of it right. and get really comfortable right. with it. Right, where the 360 was like, since it was integrated so much, you know, it was a Microsoft thing, you know, it was more of a, like, you're programming on the PC, then just make the 360 port, you know, very similar architecture, which I think was, you know, a lot to its credit, uh, the 360 there, so. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, yeah, I... Hmm. I think that we all sort of think fondly about the orange box and it's like 10 years old and all these games and I think they're all pretty legendary. I don't think there's a, a bad title on it. Um, and I sort of have a question and I sort of think I know how it's going to turn out, but you got to ask it. You got to you got to ask it. Um, is Valve going to come out with a black box with just as many games on it? <laughs> do we think that's going to happen? Do I even need to ask this question, Travis? Do I even need to? The only to? way that that's going to happen is if they decide to re-release all their old games. <laughs> like, I don't think we're going to see... Like, you know, we've got the Left 4 Dead and look for the Valve like, bundle. It's already yeah, there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I don't... Uh, there, I guess, you know, a new one with Dota 2 on consoles, maybe? That would be interesting, but... Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Aside from that, I don't see it happening. Script. They could make a, they could make a blue box and, and just have it all be about Portal. Orange box, blue box. Yeah. Right. Um, maybe put uh, Portal 3 in it. <laughs> or, or There's not going to be a Portal Three, man. <laughs> Maybe there could be a half a Portal Life Three. <laughs> Portal Life. I really want the game that melds the two worlds. Oh my god, I, I do. We're ever going to see? No, it. we're not. I don't no, think we're going to see no, it. No, no. In fact, I, I think that the top, about Portal 3 specifically, and then there's, of course, the joke that, you know, Valve can't count to three or whatever, but right. thinking about Portal 3 specifically, at the end of Portal 2, they really wrapped it up. I don't know what else they'd sell there. And then they Portal 3 is kind of like there's already a Portal 3. It was the game that you played after Portal 2, which is the one where you played co-op with your friend that even continued the story oh, yeah. on further. So... Um, and that game was awesome. Travis and I still need to complete it. We almost did. We got about 80% of the way through the game. And that's so much fun. The co-op was so great. Oh, it really is. And then Portal 3.5 was when they released the level tools, you know, into the original <laughs> game for PC. So, uh, no, they really did a yeah. good job with Portal 2. I mean, I, I thought it was the, the best Valve yeah. game to come out in a long time. So, yeah. uh, well, it's the last Valve game to come out since Dota 2 actually. I think it might be the last Valve, I single mean the player. best Valve game period honestly. It might be. Yeah. It, it may very well be. If you think about the single player, the co-op version, which they're so different. Well, not, I mean it's the same game but it's a different storyline and then the and then the level tools. I mean we went crazy on Cheerful Ghosts when those tools came out. I think we're all making levels and sharing them and playing. That was so great. But uh, yeah, no, a single player game, it was perfect. Um, I think so fun to come back and play now. Damn, what I are wanna, I want to play what Portal are they, 2 now. What are they? Yeah, I know. I want to go back and play Portal 2. What are they working on now besides supporting Dota 2? And Okay, so they're doing Dota 2. That's the big one. And they're uh, and then CSGO and all that. Yeah, they're still working on that. But no, the new uh, Valve game is going to be the Dota 2 card game. What's it called? Uh, Artifact? Um, and my guess that's going to be free to play and it's going to be like a Hearthstone kind of game or whatever sure. but um, yeah I mean it's uh, Artifact yep hmm. right on guess they could put that in a black box 
<laughs> for no reason. Yeah, cool. So I don't think we're ever going to get a black box. Um, I think that what we are is in a new era for Valve. I think Valve's in a, it's thinking about its company in a totally different way. I think Valve is a um, company that makes experiences for tons of people. And free-to-play is going to be their new games model moving forward. I don't think we're going to see a lot of single-player experiences anymore. Um, I think they're just going to release games for zillions and zillions of people that have a zero, zero barrier to entry. Um, you're going to get loot crates and stuff, but it's going to be fine because you can just grind for it if you want and kind of like you can play their games now and do that. Um, yeah, they're going to continue on uh, innovating in the hardware space where they think they can uh, make money on it. It's, you know, they'll keep on the VR churn. Um, they'll release Steam controllers and all the kind of hardware and all that stuff that makes sense just to kind of where it is, you know, and Valve will keep getting, you know, Steam will keep getting more movies and stuff. But I don't think we're going to get a black box. Um because I don't think, think we're going to get any more single-player content from Valve ever again. Do you think that they're going to... And I, I don't know if they, I haven't heard whether or not they are. But do you think that they're going to implement a uh, uh, an, an open marketplace for creators with Artifact? Yeah, I think they will. Because I think that if you look at the success they like to talk about when they're talking about Dota 2 when they're talking about CSGO, they're talking about skins and they like talking about artists making money and they like having this open thing because, I mean, I agree with them. I mean, when you can have people make money for you, you should, right? And um, and have the community and Valve seems to be a really, like an open marketplace <clears throat> opposed to different companies, you know, who likes to um, make their own skins and sort of make you know keep you in there i think that valve is like creates a little bit more of an open place and so i think so travis what do you think do you think they're going to do something like that with artifact it would make a lot of sense for them right. too, honestly with right. the like as as much as they've been pushing that kind of content over the years ever since they did the steam workshop integration for that anybody could tie into they want to push all that user created content that they can cool so, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of that from Artifact. And I think Artifact is going to start out to be kind of a nice card game. You know, um, it might even not even really it'll be a card game, but it won't be exactly like Hearthstone. My my guess is it'll somehow tie into lanes and stuff like you see with um, Dota 2. So you'll see some Dota 2 themed stuff in there in terms of laning and all that kind of thing. Uh, maybe like how you see uh what is it Gwent with lanes or is it uh, Elder Scrolls Legends with lanes I can't remember which I think it's Legends maybe they both have lanes actually Gwent does uh, like horizontal lanes they're, right they're weird right so you might see like three lane attack or something so you might see something like that you know kind of how it sort of pertains to Dota but interesting uh, yeah 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 so De definitely some item tie-ins with mm -hmm. Dota 2 unlocks yeah, I think you I'm might. Sure. I think you might see like if you have this in the game in Dota Two, you get this in the Artifact game. You know, a lot of that kind of thing. But yeah. no, it'll be a really interesting thing. And then I think they're going to kick it into into the atmosphere um, in terms of what they're going to add. I think that they're going to add so much extra crap to this game that it's going to make all the other card games look weird. Like they're just going to keep <laughs> layering more and more on top of it um, to just keep customizations and skinning and all that kind of thing. So, yeah. And that'll wrap up our discussion of the orange box turning 10 years old. Congratulations, Valve. You did it again. Yay. Your games got older.
So one thing I wanted to talk about for quite a while, and we've been actually talking about this topic, I think since the Cheerful Ghost Roundtable started, or sorry, the radio, Cheerful Ghost Radio started, um, which is DRM. So Travis and I have actually, so spoiler alert, Travis and I have been friends online, we met online, uh, for a long, long time. And we were originally moderators, this is where we first met, on the Ubuntu forums, back when Ubuntu was a brand new thing. Do you remember, Travis, back Warty Warthog came out? and Oh yeah, and this is, back in 2004. I know, I know. And so back then, uh, basically, uh, there were, Linux was great, Travis and I really liked it, um, but there wasn't a really easy way to install it or you know get things configured. And so Ubuntu sort of came in, wrapped up Debian, and made it really easy. And now we sort of take that for granted that you can get a Linux distro that actually is easy to use. That really wasn't the case. You know, it's like every Linux user is like, I compiled Gen 2 from source or whatever. You know, that's kind of how you did it. Um, or you used Red Hat and it was just terrible package management back then. Um, so we, we met that way. And one of the things that Travis and I were talking about back then with the Linux community was DRM. Because at the time, it seemed like DRM was going to crush the world. And so we talked about this a lot and we talked about an open source. And, and I think for me, and I, I can't speak to what you were thinking about in the in that early 2004 era, Travis, but for me, I viewed open source as a way to like get DRM out of my life because I didn't want to lose access to my stuff. I didn't want to lose access to my computer. I didn't want to, you know, lose the ability to do things that I used to do, like rip a CD or, and if you saw in those, in that, in that time, around that time, like Sony would release a new CD with a rootkit that would rootkit your PC. You know what I mean? That you couldn't rip the CD, you know, they would rootkit your computer. So you couldn't like rip a, an album. And that kind of stuff was happening. You saw games add DRM. You saw, you know, where you had VHS, they didn't have DRM. And then you had DVD with DRM. And then, you know, open source people would try to release a crack for DVD just to be able to rip your DVD like you could with your CD. And then there was a big brouhaha about if that was, you know, legally acceptable. And you had to go to really weird, sketchy sources to do that. And then you get DRM in games and then CD copy protection and then online only games. And oh my gosh. And then the early start with you know buying digital movies and that being drm kind of fiesta and itunes selling songs that was drm and now there's songs they sell i don't have drm rappers on them anymore so again we've come a long way come a long way since then and i'm curious about drm because again the thought originally back in 2004 and earlier was that drm would impose draconian rights fiesta on us such that we wouldn't be able to remix use or enjoy stuff that we did in the ways that we wanted to like our computers would be locked down we couldn't do anything with them we'd be sidelined restricted to only a few options to watch and not be able to watch movies just the way we could before you know you pop in a, a vhs player in any vhs player but the, the fear was you'd have a movie and it would only be playable on a particular like one windows pc or something so i'm curious what our thoughts about drm were versus now and sort of back then i guess i've talked about a lot about you travis you know in our sort of history here i'm curious to start there like what did you think about drm back then and then sort of how do you look at it now I mean, you pretty much described how I was thinking about DRM back I know. then perfectly. We were all so afraid um, of it. Yeah. And it's still, I think it has its place because there's no chance that Disney is going to just put up a DRM-free version of 
the new Cars movie for anybody to go download. You know, that's just not going to happen. I, th- I think with the way we're we have you know everything in our house connected to the internet now, it's just a necessary evil. It's not good, but it's necessary because I mean it's still. The, there's an old adage that people pirate because piracy is a better product, and that's still kind of true, because if you download a movie, you could do whatever the hell you want with it. But I think that in general, it's it's not the, the end of the world that we thought it was going to be, especially because if you really want something without the DRM restrictions in like five minutes after it released, somebody's going to put it up there for you. But it, it's not really, it doesn't really get in my way with the way I consume media, like Netflix, just going on and watching a movie, it's fine. They've taken away all the, uh, like, you know, when you tried to play a video game with Secure ROM back in the day and something was messed up at the activation server, you were just kind of screwed. Yep. But we're, we're so hyper-connected these days, those problems have become less rampant. Right. If that makes no, sense. No, it totally makes sense. Uh, I have a couple points I want to respond to, but I'm going to kick it over to Script for a script. What do you think? DRM, what did you think about it back in the day? What do you think about it now? I think I was in the same boat. I wasn't as um, technically minded as you guys were. I wasn't as tuned in to that environment. Um, I, I did have a copy of a SUSE distro right. for Linux. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it's I a good install. release. It's I good. never, I never actually used it though. I installed it, but I never used it because I thought right. there's, there's nothing here to do. Um, so <laughs> it had a web browser and open office. What are you talking about? There you go. I know. I know. Um, <laughs> the command line's all you need, fucking noob. <laughs> I know. I am a noob. Um, but I was still, um, I was still pretty, pretty paranoid. I had, uh, m- I, I might have taken. To certain uh, back channels to uh, acquire media for reasons that would not um, need DRM, but um, I like the way you avoid saying the obvious thing. <laughs> right. Uh, but what he actually means, or I'm going to translate for him, he means he only consumed Creative Commons licensed media where he has the right yes. to copy them around. CreativeCommons.org. Right. Yes. Everybody, go ahead. Go ahead. Creative, creative Commons. Um, Right, and yeah, and so I, I was I was afraid of it. I was I was thinking worst case scenarios. I was thinking that, um, that kind of what Travis was implying that you were basically going to get a broken product. Yeah, that you were going to get something that was going to be restricted to one device, and okay, now I'm going to be forced to get this one device to listen to this one thing that I've actually owned several times over over the years right. on either cassette or CD or whatever. Um, and, uh, and yeah. And so I, I don't know. I, I, w- I was afraid. And I think um, just prior to that was like, you know, like Y2K and like all these other you, right. you see things over the years, and you're just like you don't you don't really know what to think of it from yeah. a layman's perspective. And, oh yeah, and um, and so, uh, but now, yeah, I guess I'm kind of in the same boat now. Like uh, as it sounds like you are, Travis, that I I I don't even really care as much anymore. Like I have I have so many games on Steam. Um, I buy movies on iTunes. I I I tend to like 
Apple products, so I don't. I'd thought about maybe, you know, getting movies from some place that either had didn't have DRM tied to it, or maybe wasn't tied to such a proprietary architecture. But I just, I don't really care anymore. <laughs> and maybe right. that was their whole point. They're just like, we're gonna wear you down with this shit, so that you just don't even care. But it does seem like it's it's slackened. Um, it's uh, it's the the impending doom of it is maybe not so doomish as uh, as we thought it was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't. I don't feel that impending doom. So, firstly, I think it's going to sound like we're all selling out right now <laughs> compared to what we thought. <laughs> I know. Right? And I want to tell everyone, like, I I actually um, feel a lot more strongly about this than I did back then. I've just changed my thoughts a little bit. It sounds like we all kind of moved a little bit. So, a lot of people are like, Ah, DRM's always evil. You're the man. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. So, think about what were the original fears about DRM. The DRM was going to restrict access in the future, right? It's going to be 2017, and we can only do certain things on certain platforms. Well, if you look at where we're at in 2017, you can actually do more on more platforms than ever. Right. Take a, take a, take just Netflix as an example, okay? That uses DRM in every way, but you can access it on any platform ever, okay? Linux through Chrome. You can access it on Windows, Mac, any set-top box, your Wii, your freaking 3DS. Like, it's everywhere. So you just take one platform, and again, the original thought was DRM was going to limit your platform choice. I don't know that's accurate exactly. No. <laughs> I mean, it is accurate if you're like buying a Nintendo game and you can't play it on a PlayStation, but that was always true back in the day, even when Nintendo just had a lockout chip in it, or even before then when Atari didn't have a lockout chip and you could freaking play it on a, you know, on, on a different system, you know what I mean? So I think that they're just... So I don't really think that that's the truth. I think, you know, even systems you're not supposed to rip that doesn't have DRM like YouTube. I mean, you can play that anywhere, anywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't, I don't think that's entirely, entirely accurate. All I think it is. So Richard Stallman. So back in the day, um, I was a very big devotee of Richard Stallman in the open source world. And so for all everyone, everyone who doesn't know, Richard Stallman created the GNU movement and I would consider it a movement sort of a software philosophy and he de developed the manifesto and he's part of the GNU project GNU uh, they release like a bunch of open source projects that sort of wrap the Linux kernel and make Linux essentially the Linux is the kernel and GNU is a bunch of toolkits around it anyways and so he said don't buy anything you can't rip or don't buy anything that you can't break the DRM of because I think he realized like people want to buy movies so just don't buy a movie you can't crack mm -hmm. and I can tell you Richard that um, that may be true for me <laughs> like <laughs> like I buy CDs well you can rip that I buy DVDs I buy Blu-ray um, check 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 so I don't buy stuff that you can't access in a non-DRM format. And I love getting a new thing and ripping it. And I think this is the thing, too, which is Travis was talking about this, like, well, a little bit. Like, I think the fear from the publishing side is if we don't put DRM on this, is, this is a necessary evil argument that people are going to not buy stuff or whatever. I buy a ton of movies and music. Tons. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I rip it and I buy it and I buy it and I rip it like that. I don't pirate anything. So, like, forget it. You know what I mean? Like, DRM isn't going to make me buy more or buy less or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that doesn't work for me. And I and I also think, like, hmm, 
I, I think the accompli- I think I think also one more thing and I'll kick it back to you all but I think that one thing that DRM is supposed to accomplish actually I think the only goal of DRM anymore is getting you for certain kinds of it because I think there are some kinds that are totally ineffective in this and I and I think for Netflix it's just to fulfill what rights holders want you to do so they can get you content I really don't think Netflix cares about locking you into a provider but I think for some other providers it's to keep you into that a certain platform and I think for some in like the cases of Apple if you keep buying movies there you have a bunch of Apple movies well you're less likely to buy an Android phone because you yes. can't watch it on an Android device. So again, I think some DRM locks you into hardware, could, mm-hmm. but in the same way that buying a Nintendo game locks you into Nintendo hardware, which I don't, which is, is that DRM? Well, yeah, technically DRM is use, used on it. So again, I think now, and again, and one more point, and then I'll kick back to you guys. A fear of original DRM was that it was going to lessen your choices, lock down your computer, not allow you to do anything. Well, I think there's less DRM now than there was even back in 2004, maybe, because you can buy games, tons of games DRM free now humble bundle has games that are drm free gog has games that are drm free steam has games that are drm free now you download them in steam but you can copy them out of your folder for instance starship rubicon there's no drm on that you can copy it right out of your steam folder and play it without steam opened it doesn't you know steam doesn't necessarily wrap your game in drm it's just a download thing you can copy it put it on your computer if you want hmm. so i didn't even know that yeah yeah you totally could you just cool. download it yeah so yeah I kind of don't... I think for me, DRM would matter if a music a music that I owned, a movie, or my photos, I had to be on a particular platform for. you know. And games now that they work on Windows, Mac, and Linux, it's even more of a... They're even more open now. You know what I mean? As far as I'm right. concerned, there's even less vendor luck than, than there ever was in gaming before, right? You can buy get a Linux computer and play your games. Or you can get a Mac computer and play your games or Windows. So there's even less than there was. And that's, it's just DRM doesn't matter anymore into the video gaming landscape. It exists for certain publishers to feel good. I don't think it, it serves a purpose anymore because clearly you can get it without it. Anyways, kick it back to y'all. You, you wanted to say something, Script? Um, no, I just, I, I've, um, I was finding myself agreeing with a lot of what you're saying and thinking yeah. about the systems that I have and going back to the iTunes thing with the you know the movies and music and stuff. The music's maybe not that big of a deal, but the the movies are definitely uh, you know require an iTunes. Mm-hmm. Um, they do. But I but I guess I I prefer iTunes as a player, which it's not the best player, but the way that it integrates with. Um, household networks like if i have an apple tv in the living room and I oh yeah it's great in the bedroom, it's seamless and it works right. like 100 percent right. of the time like right. i've never i've had that infrastructure for as long as they've been making apple tv and i i love it it's, it's super smooth and i can put i can have itunes purchase movies in itunes or i can have mm-hmm. a dvd that i own that i ripped and put that into iTunes and it streams just as as seamlessly to the Apple TV. So it's and I can put it on my iPad or whatever. I mean it's it's so in that sense like if I agree though like if I wanted an Android phone and I had thought about it for a while but and the decision was that well all my content is 
is tied up in Apple services. So it definitely influenced my decision to... Well, here's something to consider, okay? And this is something, again, it sort of harkens to the original DRM fear point, which is it's going to lock you into hardware. And in the case of iTunes, maybe it seems like it does, unless you realize that... Okay, it's a little story here. So originally, Disney had this thing called Disney Movies Anywhere. And Disney Movies Anywhere was a thing where if you download Disney Movies Anywhere app and open an account with them, you could link up your Amazon, Google Play, iTunes, and Voodoo accounts there. And then every Disney movie you bought, it would push up to all those stores. So you got a code. So this is what would happen. I, I don't buy movies digitally online. I just don't. I buy a Blu-ray, okay? And when I get the Blu-ray of The Force Awakens, I download, I type in the little code into iTunes and I get the free copy, right? Super. What happens with Disney Movies Anywhere is Disney Movies Anywhere notices this on iTunes and then it pushes it up to Amazon, it pushes it up to Google, and it pushes it up to Voodoo at the same time, okay? So I can watch The Force Awakens anywhere I want on any platform. Now, Disney Movies Anywhere just rebranded to Movies Anywhere and you can get it on your iPhone and what it does is it hooks up to Amazon, iTunes, Voodoo, and Google Play, but now almost all the studios except for Paramount and another one are allowing all those movies to get pushed to all those platforms. So if you, and totally, and they're trying to get on all of the studios on board. So it seems like, to me, movie studios are like, we want people to buy digital movies. Right. I don't care where. We just want the digital movie sale now because people aren't buying movies anymore. They're just not. They're streaming them, right? It's totally different. Or they're renting them on their cable box or whatever, the red box or whatever. So they want people to buy digital movies. So they're trying to make it so it goes everywhere, like naturally. And so as far as I'm concerned, I think that what's actually happening because of the just streaming is more of a thing is that. It, it's becoming like a different kind of thing, right? And maybe you're saying, oh, well, Dotson, if a new digital service came up, a new video streaming service, they wouldn't get the Movies Anywhere treatment and then push a copy there. And it's like, yeah, maybe so. You know, maybe that's true. Maybe it's only these providers, but that one, two, three, I mean, that's four. I mean, that's a lot. I mean, yeah. I guess you could make a zillion DVD brands or whatever, but I bet if a new video platform provider came up and they had the rights, you know, same, you know, they'd probably be able to do it too, but Anyways, I guess my point is is that it seems like studios are trying to get it pushed everywhere now, you know. So check out movies anywhere actually. That's it's free. It's free. It just pushes everywhere, so. It sounds like um ever, it sounds like ever since the uh the introduction of um digital content um whether it was, you know, and mostly I'm talking like peer-to-peer stuff like Napster or, or you know, ways for digital content to be traded and pirated and that kind of stuff that the entire entertainment industry, whether it's music or, or video or whatever, um, has been – it's like somebody came along – like they were putting together a puzzle of like how they were going to create their their markets – and they're put together this really intricate puzzle and then somebody just came along and just kicked the table and like all the pieces went everywhere and they're like fuck what are we going to do they're stealing our shit we're going to go broke we have to protect ourselves and it's like it's taken up until now to for the pieces to settle back and it's like realizations are being made and and people are being a lot more rational about corporates corporate entities are being more rational about how they 
deliver their their content. So I guess that makes sense. And and I I I think it's cool. I think I think there's still I, I I like that idea. I'm definitely gonna look into that movies anywhere because it's that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, it and I way more practical. Right, and I think that uh, you should just have a digital copy somewhere, and it should be everywhere. Like that sounds really great. I mean, why not? That sounds way more consumer friendly than just in one store. And I just want to also make one thing clear: like I consume my music, movies, and photos, and it's all DRM free. Like you know, get Force Awakened. Like I, I just have these digital copies in all these stores. I don't really watch them. I usually just put in the Blu-ray or I stream the off of my NAS. You know, I have like a little server here that holds all my media. You know, that's how I consume it. So I usually use DRM free copies, but I know not everyone wants to run its own mini Linux server and stream that crap and all that kind of stuff. And I totally get it. Um, if you don't want to do that, you shouldn't. But I so maybe do. that's another. Maybe that's another convenience of DRM is is convenience. Oh, it, for... there's no question about it. Like, it's way more convenient to just click buy on iTunes and then just watch it than me get my Blu-ray, pop it into a PC, rip it, encode it, worry about, you know, how many, like, frames <laughs> per second and file size and all that kind of thing. Am I, like, getting the right, you know, like, subtitles and all that kind of thing? Like, but I like doing that kind of thing, you know what I sure. mean? I like getting a CD. I like burning it. I like making sure that it's encoded properly and having the tags in there. I make sure the album art's embedded in the right encoding, right? But then again, I mean, but not everyone wants to do that. So convenience is a big deal, like, huge. It's a huge deal. But then again, one benefit is I think it allows me to buy hardware differently though. So like I recently bought an Apple Watch, Travis and I both did actually around the same time. It was crazy. We didn't we didn't like set it up. We just actually did that. It was weird. <laughs> and um I didn't get the Apple Watch with cell service, uh the Series 3, because I didn't need because and I run all the time. So I, you know, I imagine a lot of people got the cellular Apple Watch so they could stream Apple Music when they're running. Makes sense, right? Well, I don't need to do that because I've got like all this music content, I can just copy it over to my watch and I do, right? Because I've got a ton of albums. I don't need to stream it, you know. Um, I've got those files. So I think that allowed me a different purchase there. And But then again, there's also another s- story there too, which is I buy the Apple phone with the largest amount of storage so I can load up my, you know, phone with a zillion movies or whatever too. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of push, a little pull. I don't know, Travis, what do you think? I mean, DRM, does it need to exist? Do you think it needs to for you? Well, for one thing that, that you kind of touched on that, that kind of ties into this, I like you, I don't buy anything online, like through online streaming services like iTunes or whatever. I always just buy the Blu-ray, and then I can pretty much do whatever I want with that since the, I mean, there is DRM on the Blu-ray, but it was broken a long time ago, so you can just rip it or whatever. Totally, but but just but, a point of clarification: you're talking about movies and music. You're not talking about games, right? Because you buy digital games all the time, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. me yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Steam, love it, love it. But um, one thing specific to games, um, those that does kind of occasionally cause issues. Yep. Like most recently with the. Uh, most the the new Doom game um, didn't get a port to Linux, and because of the DRM that was on it, you couldn't even like the the wine wrappers and things didn't work for it. At oh, all. the new Doom, you couldn't uh, even <clears throat> wine that, huh? Right, oh. because of that DRM. Right. But after like a a few weeks, the DRM was cracked, and they actually, I think I can't remember which company it is that will like 
let you cancel your subscription so you don't have to keep paying them if the DRM gets broken. So they just pulled the DRM off of it eventually. I think oh. kind of that's the purpose for DRM in video games these days is to get, people get to those first it. few yep. weeks. Which yeah, really matters that in gaming. I mean, that matters a lot, actually. Yeah. Those first few yeah. weeks make or break the game success, right? Yeah, and after the first few weeks, you know, if that's the chunk of the sales that really matters. So, right. That's yeah, fine. We'll remove it at that point. But, you know, aside from those first few weeks in game sales, I think the real place where it matters is in subscription services like Netflix and Hulu and uh, streaming music services as well. I, mean, I think well, because you're not for the buying anything you, there, you're renting everything, right? Right. right. Which I think for, for the me music personally, you, I'm okay with that because, like Netflix, I don't see it as me buying anything. If I bought right, a Blu-ray, exactly. I want to do whatever I want with it. Netflix, I don't feel like I need Same to own here. any of that stuff. Yeah, and the music that you buy these days, I mean, even if you buy it from Amazon or iTunes, it's you know, DRM is pretty much not even a part of the picture anymore. No, it's not. No. And they've kind of abandoned that, but I think the subscription services are where that's going to remain necessary because if they put up all that stuff without DRM, then everybody would own it immediately. Right. So the last question I have here is, do we really care about stuff that's wrapped in DM, DRM anymore? And does that factor into how we buy things? Script, do you care about DRM wrapped? It doesn't matter to how you buy anything anymore? As far as the things that I'm already purchasing and how I purchase them, no. Um, if I were to change my, you know, my platforms or my 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 software or whatever it is I'm using, um, and I was introduced to a specific DRM that infringed in a way that, then then I might have a problem. But I. You know, I guess maybe I've become familiar with my environments now, and so yeah, yeah. I it really I I don't even notice it to be honest. Like it doesn't it doesn't even register that it's DRM, and maybe that's scary. Maybe um, maybe I am being naive or, or sellout or whatever. But um, I've got honestly like I've got so many other things to worry about in my <laughs> life. Like I I don't I just don't. It's not a concern. There is one... I was going to bring this up earlier, but it's a good time to do it. There, there's only one avenue in particular that I that I run into DRM that completely pisses me off, and I, I thought of it mid-conversation when you guys were talking. Um, and oddly enough, it's magazines, digital magazines. Okay. There is a, uh, there's a magazine that I would love to subscribe to, uh, hard copy, yeah, um, it's called Imagine FX. It's yeah. distributed from the UK. It's yeah. expensive as hell. I mean, it's like a hundred fifty dollars subscription for the year. Oh, um, and the digital subscription, or if you buy the digital version, it's um, it's less than half that. And so, of course, I'm going to get the digital version totally because I don't, I can't afford that, or I don't want to spend that. But but getting the digital subscription, it ties you to, like, I can only see it on my iPad. Right. And I don't want to do that. I want to see it on my computer. I want right. to bring it wherever. So that's that's the only place that I run into it. Otherwise, I, I honestly don't even notice. Sure. Travis, um, do you care about stuff that's wrapped in DRM anymore? Does that factor into how you buy stuff? Pretty much at this point... Like I said, the only thing that 
it might affect his video games because of the way I buy music and movies and TV shows. It, it doesn't really affect me, but if, uh, if something came out where the DRM like screwed something up in a major way, like the most recent fiasco I can think of is the Assassin's Creed PC version, yeah. where a lot of people just couldn't play the game yeah. because of the DRM. Yeah. So, so that's really the only situation I can think of now that would affect how I decide to spend my money if it's something that just breaks like that. Totally. Um, so I think for me, I really do care about stuff that's wrapped in DRM anymore. That's why I buy stuff for the most part that I can have a clean copy of. Music, movie, you know, pictures that I can. And again, people like pictures. What do you care? Well, I mean, again, that was a fear, right? That was a fear early in 2000s that you're going to take a picture and a camera and it was going to be DRM to be a particular platform. And that just didn't happen. You know, people were like, raw images are proprietary. It's like, Jesus, people, you know. So no, that's like no those are really you know and again you know buy games and there's DRM free copies and Humble and GOG and I've got a ton I, you just go into Humble and I could download like 200 games you know what I mean and sometimes I do just DRM free copy it's great um, so yeah no it does and so I just stick to those channels that I know I can get it into a clean format does it factor into how I buy stuff well okay so if I ran into a problem where I'm buying something that I know is a little bit less known to me like a steam copy for instance and I played it and I couldn't play it because of DRM I would return it so yeah it does factor into how I buy stuff if I can't enjoy it in the way that I would expect I would return it so if I buy a game on the switch my expectation is that it runs on the switch and if I bought a game on PC it'd be my expectation it runs there and like Travis said if it didn't in case of Assassin's Creed I would return the game and God bless Gabe for allowing game returns on Steam I think that's actually fixing a lot of problems people have with digital um, which is to say like sometimes a publisher puts out a crappy port but it's not really DRM it's the fault of that mostly it's the because the game's crappy optimized so you can get your money back and i think that's the best approach to drm or just any kind of issue you have with buying something so. and with things like the family sharing that they're doing oh it's gosh. kind of allevi- it's alleviating some of that because you know you can't really let your friend borrow your digital copy well okay here you go now you, and can. you absolutely can and um i love family sharing in steam and all that's all i'm gonna say about that um it's amazing it's amazing i am i'm a part of a large family um and it's incredible so all right i think that's gonna wrap up our discussion about drm um sounds like we've kind of changed pace a little bit but i i definitely find that i kind of agree with you script like there are other things that i worry about in the day now but you know partly because you know i've gotten a little bit older and Things aren't maybe as scary as they were, but also I think we've, it sounds like we've all worked into something that works really well for us. You know what I mean? Um, But I agree with you, Script. I think books are one of those areas where it's a DRM fiesta. You can't even really get books in DRM free unless it's even, unless it's a humble book thing. And those are so just not common. You know what I mean? It's weird, right? I mean, that's like, I don't think anybody even, we were were talking about movies and music and games and everything. And who would have thought that books, are the would worst. be the thing that would yeah. be the worst. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's weird. yeah, and I think the best platform, just simply if you want to read it anywhere, is probably Kindle, Amazon. But even then, yeah. like, it locks you into hardware special stuff. Yeah, and I and I and I don't love that. You know what I mean? Because it's yeah, I just I don't know, man. I mean, that's probably the most because you get it on an iPad and you could buy an Amazon stuff. But yeah, books seem the worst to me. <laughs> Unless you're yeah, talking Ken- about Project Gutenberg or stuff that's fallen into Ken- the public domain, right? All right, there you go. 
Yeah, Kindle's been pretty good. I mean, I can see, I can read Kindle anywhere, iPad, Mac, yeah. PC, but uh, yeah. So just, I don't know if we have enough time or if, if we can even know to do this, but I, I was thought it would be neat if we just shout out real quick places that we know of that dish out DRM free content. Absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Like, well, I don't know. I mean, I I get music from Bandcamp. Oh my um, god, me too. That's so great. That's, I love it. That's yep. yeah. the one that first came to mind. I don't I don't Yeah, so there's really Bandcamp and I buy tons of stuff through them. Like lots and the cool thing about Bandcamp is if you love video game scores like I do, like the, mm-hmm. like everyone's on there. You know, like Ben Prenti's on there, like Disaster Piece, like all the bigs and then, you know, uh, the guy that did the Shovel Knight score and all that kind of thing. So, um a one uh, DRM free again, so GOG Right. Is a place to get DRM free games. Yep. Right. Um, Humble also has DRM free games. Uh, let's see. And there's also, in terms of music, like Amazon, iTunes, but even then, like, there's this. Um, Neil Young did Pono, which is his um, 24K, like, super high quality music mm. site where you can get just like high res audio. Um, and that's all DRM free. Is there any place at all to find drm free movies yeah so vimeo has movies you can get and then there's also another um uh, site called vhx which allows um just anyone to publish a movie yeah yeah absolutely anyone to publish anything and sell it to you in whatever form they want and uh it's either streaming if it's drm or um you can download it straight up and i've gotten a lot of videos through vhx a lot of it's again gaming stuff so like i got rise of the indies which was a, a video game um documentary through vhx um i got ecstasy of order that way um the double fine adventure was drm free and then mst3k when i kickstarted it they released all that their episodes of drm free through vhx which was cool because you know with mystery science theater you'd figure oh well you know it's a new thing they're going to drm it up but i got them all hd nice drm free travis you know of any other you mentioned amazon yeah you mentioned amazon music and one thing that i like about amazon i love yeah if you buy a cd there you get the auto rip so like while you're waiting for the cd to be (laughs) shipped to you you can listen to it on the fresh new drm free mp3s they send you it's great right and one other thing and this is a little legally gray though um youtube you can um there are sites where you can put in the youtube url and download the video and i know people like ah stealing or whatever well okay look i like having certain things that i've seen i want to be able to see again okay and i come from the old days when you ripped things and you had remember back in the day when web video was a new thing and you downloaded a file and you watched it do you remember that shit i do oh yeah okay yep. and so my thought is that the youtube video is not going to be there forever maybe it'll come down maybe someone will do a copyright strike against it i don't know there are things that i want to keep watching like the phantom menace review like plinkett's phantom menace review i always want to be able to see that always so i downloaded it i'm sorry like I'll give you money, Red Letter Media. I don't care, whatever. It's fine. I'll buy it. Put it on a V. You know, they 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 can't sell it because it's you know a bunch of Star Wars clips and stuff that's sort of legally gray or whatever. But anyways, I download it because I want to watch it. So you can just put it in an app and download YouTube videos. I mean, you know, it's no one's stopping you. I kind of look at that kind of thing the way I look at um, taping songs off the radio, which I did a lot of. 
or VHS tapes. Like I remember, yeah, was a big, the two VCRs. Absolutely, yeah. back in the '90s. Like I remember when Terminator Two was on TV and it was a big deal. It was the first time it was on TV, and I remember buying a super high capacity VHS tape where I could do slow record, and I posited all the move, and I I posited all the commercials, and I got a super pristine, over the air rip of Terminator Two, and I kind of look at you know, downloading YouTube videos in the same way. It's the same, I think, right? Yeah. Um, or or um, there was a, and I'm not going to say which band, but I'm going to buy the CD too, but this band released an album on NPR. Um, heard it like a couple weeks before it came out. And I, since I'm a developer, I know how to look into the web inspector to note where audio streams come from. And straight up, the audio stream is in an MP3 file off of a server with a particular access key. And I just played all 10 files and downloaded them in the browser just by copying the URL straight out of the web inspector. And then I got the MP3 files and I downloaded the art and I embedded it in there. And then I added all the MP3 tags. This is like, and it's not even available to pirate. I look at it the same way nice. that I'd like record an audio cassette <laughs> off the radio. You know, it was available, DRM free, off of a web server. You just looked at some code, got the file. It's how they delivered it to you in the browser. They just don't allow a download. Yeah. So, essentially, I'm going to jail, guys. I'm going to jail. Well, maybe we can bring Skype with you. We can still do the podcast. <laughs> We'd have some really interesting things to talk about then. I just, exactly. All right, guys. So apparently there's a lot of guys in here, and some of them are cranky. Nobody likes Star Wars. No one likes What's Star Wars. Going? The Last Jedi, uh, my pre-sale tickets, I couldn't use them in jail. And um, I just have a really bad book selection here. I'm bored a lot. <laughs> All right, everyone, that'll sort of wrap up our discussion on DRM. So, Travis, where can people find more of you online, you DRM-loving weirdo? <laughs> I'm not a DRM-loving weirdo, but you can find more of me at cheerfulghost.com slash Travis or on a few of the social places at not Travis Newman. Awesome. Script, you hate DRM. <laughs> You're going to burn it to the ground, every, every DRM site. Where can people find more of you online? It's opposite day. I did. I did. I am growing my beard out, so you, you might be confusing me for Travis. Um, I uh, I am I am on uh, uh, cheerful cheerfulghost.com slash script. Uh, John Ingalls art on Instagram. And uh, my name's John, and you can find me selling out to the man on Twitter at jdodson and cheerfulghost.com slash jdodson. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cheerful Ghost Radio. Cheerful Ghost Radio is brought to you by CheerfulGhost.com and our theme music is by Creo. Make sure you head over to Cheerful Ghost to let us know what you think of the show and thanks for listening.